Hello and welcome to the Total Clarity Podcast. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And I'm Mike Varley. And we are just an hour out from having a new president. Yeah, an hour out as in we just heard it an hour ago. That's right. It's Saturday around one o'clock or so. And at about 1130, Joe Biden was officially announced as president-elect of the country. Ding dong. Ding we did dong. it. We did it. So we thought because this project is both a weekly thing and a, a whole year thing, we thought instead of doing a recap on our walk, which we're actually pretty excited to share, we've already done that episode, and we'll be sharing it in several weeks, it's for the graveyards of near Queens, we would do a podcast on the election itself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the just a teaser about the graveyard podcast, we had a special guest on that we had never met before until that day, and he was very interesting. His name is Mark, and stay tuned for that. We're going to release it in a couple weeks. And being in the graveyards during election week was very nice because it's been a stressful week. Yeah. Not waiting only, for things to come out. That's right. Not only was it a peaceful way to spend the week, it happened to be a beautiful week weather-wise. And something I mentioned a little bit on the podcast that we recorded for several weeks from now was that we spent some time in a military graveyard and it really resonated with me, particularly on the Wednesday immediately after the election while we were still waiting for the results to come. The idea that there were a lot of people there at the cemetery that had fought for these types of rights that we had, even if they weren't necessarily fighting in wars that were directly responsible for that type of effort. There is a lot of human integrity and intention that goes into the wars that we have fought toward defending our freedom. And yeah, to see all of those soldiers that had lost their lives in their white tombstones uniformly placed. And uh, yeah, just to think that that was something that they believed in was was really powerful. Yeah. But, it's an emotional thing to yeah. have just cast your vote and to be waiting for the results to come in and yeah, know that there's a bunch of people that have done this before us too and created this system that we live in. Yeah. And I think that's one of the many takeaways for this particular election is that there has yet to be any one person that can undermine democracy in this country to the point where it falls apart. Now, I guess that will remain to be seen once the next couple of months eclipse how that manifests. Right now, it does not seem that it will degrade to that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're not out of the woods yet, and this presidency has really flipped a lot of shit on its head as far as I'm concerned in how we understand our country and our democracy and how we interact with each other and how we interact with how politicians are interacting with like Twitter and the types of things that they're saying and how that gets people all riled up. So I don't think I'm going to be fully comfortable until we're, until, you know, we're actually with a new president, but it seems like it's gonna 
work out. It does seem that way. And while there are a lot of accusations to this point baseless of there being voter fraud mm -hmm. or chicanery. <laughs> and this to be the new word that they like to use. Yes, chicanery is a very uncommonly used word, but you know, yeah. and hopefully we don't get to use it so much moving forward. But to this point, there has been no definitive evidence presented of election fraud. No. And I personally do not believe that there is election fraud. Yeah. And they've, they've researched this. I mean, they being the people that research this and have studied elections and study how it works and follow both the polls and the actual electioning. And I think it's, I think what I've read from those people is that it's less likely than getting struck by lightning. It's like a 0.000005% chance that there would actually be any significant election fraud. Right. So not only do I take solace in the fact that this is researched, but mm -hmm. to also see it play out. Yeah. That there really is a number of different safeguards in our system, despite four years of feeling like everything was off the rails. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, this, it's been so crazy and the rhetoric has been so crazy that even I was getting anxious about voting as well. I mean, we voted in person partially because our in-person voting is pretty easy, but also because my absentee ballot got messed up. Or when I when I ordered an absentee ballot in the primaries, it didn't show up until six weeks after the election. So that got messed up. And a lot of the absentee or mail-in ballots from friends of ours got messed up. They got the wrong name or something like that. But that's obviously that's not voter fraud because that's just sort of a clerical error or a mistake within the postal system or something like that. I just wanted to make sure that my vote got there. Right. And that's why I voted in person. And it was also it it was also kind of an emotional experience for me. Our the place where we vote is so small, it's just a school right down the street. It's actually not small. It's a big gym, but the amount of people that show up to vote is usually pretty small. And I guess because we vote in all the local elections and the midterms and all that, that's probably what it is that there's not usually a lot of people. I've been the very first person to vote there multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I, and Mike, you reminded me after I said this the other day too, but in 2016, there were also a lot of people there voting. Mm -hmm. But it felt like there were a lot of people there this time too. And not so many that it didn't feel unsafe in any way. And it's still like, we I think there were four people ahead of us yeah. in the original line and then another, you know, two people to wait to get to actually go in and vote. But usually I'm just like the only person there with the poll workers. Right. So it felt energizing. It felt like people were really showing up. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were. I mean, it was the most number of votes cast ever yeah. by sheer number and the highest percentage in a number of years. I, I don't have that offhand. Uh, they were estimating that it might be 65%, but I didn't. I actually never went to look at what the true number was. Yeah. It's also... Do they even know yet the final count of votes? Because they're still 
counting the last one, like, because they still have some that can come in in certain states, too. Yeah, I guess they don't have a they probably don't definitive have the final percentage. Final, final number. They have the number, a, a high number of ballots cast. Yeah. Not necessarily who the votes are cast for. It does appear that Biden will be the first president to, well, excluding Barack Obama, but the first first-term president to have over 50% of the vote. So oh, wow. Trump obviously did not have that. Yeah. Uh, Clinton did not have that. Bush yeah. did not have that. So that's something that's interesting to think about. Yeah. And he yeah, obviously... Yeah, he's winning right now by about 4.5 million. Yeah, and it's going to go up. Yeah. And yeah, he will have the most votes ever. Mm-hmm. Trump will have the second most votes ever in this highly motivated mm-hmm. election. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know how much that means other than to say that turnout was significant. Yeah, turnout was significant. And Jesse and I had a conversation about this before the election was held. And I had said, you know, it's it's maybe an anti-democratic statement to make. But when you think about voter turnout being high, it means that there's actually something quite wrong. You know, it doesn't really mean that things are going well. Because people feel that they can take off if things are going to be more of the same. And I yeah. think people really intuited, intuit maybe almost too generous a term. You'd have to be kind of, um, you know, just not paying attention to recognize that this was something that was important for people to turn out for. Yeah. I think that. Okay, we've already talked about this, but if there's anyone listening to us right now, maybe that bears repeating that that thought of when there's this high of a turnout, that it means that there's a problem. Right. It's not necessarily, I mean, it's something to celebrate because it means that people are engaged, but then you think about why are people engaged. Yeah. Right? That's what you're saying. Yeah. And. Which obviously, like. I want as many people to vote as possible. Like yeah, that's not the point. It's just kind and of this. And you do want people to be engaged. And I think we have often had this false sense of security in terms of thinking that, okay, well, everything feels pretty normal, so everything's okay. I think, I wonder what's going to happen from here. People are super engaged right now on a lot of different things. And I hope that, I hope that continues even if, it doesn't mean that there's something significantly wrong and a real threat to our democracy. If, but there's still, there's always work to be done. Mm-hmm. And the more that citizens are engaged in our sharing what they want that work to look like, then the more we progress in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And we'll see. I mean, (laughs) of course, now there will be an election in January, two Senate seats in Georgia, special runoffs. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, the the beat will go on. But I do think it will go on in a way. Well, maybe not for those particular races, but as the years progress, I'm hopeful that people will recognize that the 
constant din of our president on Twitter has gone away and the circus has left town. I think, I, yeah. I hope that people will appreciate that because that was really, you know, in 2016, I did a, only one piece on the election. And I say that because in 2008 and 2012, I actually wrote quite a great deal about the election, wrote a number of pieces kind of covering the election in a way that was like news, but also abstract kind of poetry prose. And this time I, I didn't do anything other than, I guess, what we're doing right now. But in 2016, I, I spoke very much about the idea of President Trump was potentially dangerous, mostly because it was going to be like a fish tank just gradually filling up with algae mm. and debris and the filter being broken and it just be getting murkier and murkier and, and not really being aware of the level of murkiness that was being generated because you're in it the whole time. And I, I think that for a lot of the country, even people that were Trump supporters or Republicans, maybe, maybe not so much Trump supporters as people who believe in some of these conservative principles, that hopefully they'll feel some of the release and to be able to escape the media orbit of politics, mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the murkiness, I definitely felt the murkiness, even if we were in the fish tank right. to follow along with what you've created. But I hope that the murkiness can clear up quickly and that people can start to also not be so divided. I mean, I think that's what Biden has been, you know, everyone's saying that he's the one that will bring the country back together. And I hope that's true. I mean, I think part of now why we're going to be looking at the Georgia race is that it's not only Trump that divided this country. The head of the Senate is a piece of shit, too. Excuse my language and excuse my harsh opinion here. Mitch McConnell is not... He's not a guy that wants to work across the aisle, as they say. He was running the Senate before, and he wouldn't work. He just wouldn't work with Democrats, straight up wouldn't do it. And so if he's still going to be in there, which it looks like he is, and if they're still going to have majority, which I guess we don't know now, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. Maybe I mean, maybe we'll get a Hail Mary in Georgia. But... If that's the way it's going to be, he's got to change his attitude. Like seriously, he's got to change his attitude. If we ever want to, if we want to continue this two-party system and we don't want to be butting heads all the time, everybody's got to change their attitude. Yeah. I think and you're it, getting a little ahead of the circumstance right I now. It's I am. Just, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but ultimately this particular moment is about having the executive branch return to some sense of normalcy. Yeah. And yeah. it may well be that the Senate is at loggerhead for two years, and it may well be that 
the midterm elections go how they typically go, which is that the executive party in power loses seats, mm. it's uh, it's unclear. I mean, it would be very unfortunate for us to go through two or four more years of a stalemate, but at least at the executive level, there wouldn't be a person that is has no interest in preserving any of the tenants of our system. That's true. And maybe that's, maybe I am missing some of the murkiness because maybe that's part of what I'm getting so fired up about is that there is this feeling like we've split so harshly, both the people that are in charge and also just the people, the people. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have access to sharing our thoughts publicly, regardless of how well they've been thought out, how kind they are, how smart they are. Right. Well, that was the thing you were saying earlier when we were just watching the actual announcement to have the media be able to express themselves. Yeah, I was saying that earlier as I was realizing as they were I guess we were just watching NBC and they were talking about how Trump is has already lied a lot and how he's going to probably continue to lie about things and they're going to continue to call him out and as crazy it is it is that we have a president that does just blatantly lie about so much and there's a lot of people that either believe him because they want to believe him, because it's a little easier than challenging themselves to think critically, which thinking critically is challenging yourself. That's what it is. It's not just reading the things that you like. Or because they empower him, or he empowers them to be unkind people, and they like that, and it feels, you know, they want to be angry and mean. Maybe that's that's some of his supporters, but there's there's all sorts of reasons that I'm sure I don't know all the reasons why people believe his lies, but there are a lot of people that do, and then there's also a lot of people that don't, and it is amazing to live in a country where we have a president that lies. And we have the ability to call him on that repeatedly, and no one's getting killed for it. Like, there's other places in the world where there are presidents that lie, and then the media calls them on it, and it's not, and it's way worse than what's happening here, which what's happening here is bad. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, having a bunch of people say that all media is fake news if it goes against the president, like, that's crazy. But at least we are able to continue speaking out and not and, you know, actually telling the truth. Well, it speaks to our standards as a nation and as citizens. Mm -hmm. And people bemoan the institutions that we have in this country. And I think it's it's good to look at the standards that we have Mm -hmm. and to think to ourselves, you know, You can't just, you know, for people that are looking for total revolution in our thought process and to take down our institutions because they've been corrupt since its inception, Mm 
you can't just build up this degree of adherence to good practice overnight once you tear those things down. And maybe maybe they do need to be teared down, but I, it's, I think that's where conservatism, regardless of party, small c, not capital C, mm. is something that is really good for us to keep in mind constantly to think, what are these institutions that have been built up through multiple generations? What are these standards for what our country are? are and is it important for us to to hold on to them you know i don't i don't know what always, are these institutions that you're referencing just the institution of america mm. and government and the ideals that mm. it was founded on which are stained with all sorts of really horrific human failings mm-hmm. and i you know i also generally don't like to witness myself acting out uh, programs, you know? Yeah. But I don't mind this type of program where it's like, yeah, this program of like believing in democracy and believing that my nation's going to have a secure vote and believing that the media is the one that gets to call the elections and making sure that we don't slip below a standard of governance, you know, that that makes me feel, I don't know, proud, I guess, but also just like, yeah, okay, this is a, this is a program that like, I'm, I'm okay with, you know? Mm. And a lot of people, I think they don't, they don't like the idea of any programming that isn't their own programming, even as that is a type of programming that's been put into them by their surrounding culture, you know? Right. So... I don't know. I mean, and I think the an interesting flip side to what you're saying about, you know, the media having the space to call these things out is also I've despite what a lot of people might say as far as the media being unfair to this president. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've noticed a shift the past few days in particular as we've entered something that was unprecedented in the modern era, which is having to wait this many days for election results. The media feeling a little bit more um, looser in their ability to call out the president, which is reflective of them spending four years respecting the office. Right. And, And not just saying that this is foolish and we refuse to, you know, handle this, that, you know, they haven't done that that much uh, in the past four years. And now for them to say, look, uh, you know, you don't touch the vote. The vote is bigger than you. You know, there aren't many things that are bigger than you, but the people's voices are bigger than you. And it does seem like everyone's like even beyond the media is saying that as well, like the other politicians that maybe don't want it to go this way for their own self-interest but they do respect the way that it works. Yeah. Just like the Democrats respected it four years ago, even though this was a nightmare and like really doesn't even seem like it should be allowed to have someone like this become president. We respected it because that's what the, what it's actually not what the people chose, but whatever, it's what the electoral college vote gave him. So 
We respected that that's the process. We also realized that maybe parts of that process need to change to make it better and cleaner, but everyone respected that that's the process. So yeah, they've got to respect it now too. I also think, I just want to say quickly, you know, we, I think a lot of people say this media has become such a term that people use. And I think that what we're talking about right now is official news outlets, right? Because mm -hmm. media, I feel like, also just refers to anything that you're consuming. And it's sort of a shorthand for news. But I also think that people get confused and think that someone like Tucker Carlson is news media. Mm -hmm. and, he's, and I think those are the people that are saying the media is always so mean to Trump because they think that opinion news sites are actually real news mm -hmm. when they're not. And the real news is people that study and they're journalists and they're people that are out there talking to people and trying to be unbiased as much as possible, although a lot of news outlets do have a slight bias. Yeah. But then you get to the opinion thing and like that's just not news. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who's listening to this that doesn't get it. But if you right. are, that's what it is. Right. So yeah. that's all yeah. about that. So they did a, we were watching the news again just before starting this. And they did a poll prior to the election, both Democrats and Republicans, and asking them what their primary emotion would be mm -hmm. if their chosen candidate lost. And the primary emotion for the Democrats was anger. And the primary emotion for the Republicans was disappointment. And so I guess for anybody that's listening and, and feeling disappointment, I hope that the current president who uses a language that suggests that it's his intention to be present for everybody, is able to take solace and is able to actually see evidence that this is a return to normalcy. Mm -hmm. Because I think that was what the Democrats, when their primary season, were looking for. I think the ratio to which it was actually wanting normalcy versus this is what we think will beat the current president. That might be unclear, but it does seem that everybody was looking to take a step back from the ledge. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that idea. And I, I think that we're going to be a better country as a consequence of not having another four years of not just Donald Trump, but everything, all the baggage that he brings. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think with normalcy comes, this is something I've said a lot privately to you, Mike, but, you know, especially as we've been walking around and we see people that have flags and displays and all these, like, really just over-the-top excitement for Trump, we don't really see any of that for Biden. And I've been wondering, like, I voted for Bernie in the primaries. I was excited by him. He had people excited, right? And I think 
Biden never really had people excited, which is why I didn't want to vote for him in the primaries and and did, of course, now. But I wonder what, you know, like, I still really like Bernie. I still want to hear him talk. I hope he's involved in some way because I think he's, it's cool to see this older guy that's progressive and thinks like, it seems as though his brain never stopped thinking, which is why young people are often ahead of the curve because they're still thinking. And it seems like he's a guy that like, still is engaged and still thinking and thinking forward and not just settling in. And I think that's why people were excited, but having Biden as president, it's just like not having someone that, we're, that we all have fan clubs around, I think is really important. Because I don't think that that, then you can actually listen to what he's saying and be thoughtful and critical about it. Yeah. And have, figure out what it, how that actually relates to your life and not just implement it because you are number one fan and you have the biggest display in your yard. Right. Kind of thing. You won't just follow blindly. I think, yeah, what I, I think what I was saying was like, this is going to be great because no one is like really super jazzed about Biden. Right. And that's perfect. That's really ultimately what we should have <laughs> as a president. We should have someone that will lead, that no one's freaking out. Well, people are freaking out because I think they've been brainwashed. But most people are not freaking out with fear and most people are also not freaking out with excitement. It's like, okay, a true leader, someone that will just be managing the country and hopefully bring some unity in that way. Yeah. Well, yes, with respect to the freaking out, the Trump energy, I think there's something that's really interesting there that needs to be unpacked in the coming years that it talks to the American story in my head. And we have this idea that we've been raised with as Americans about what the American story is, where you, the, you know, we're constantly getting better. And there's values that are unimpeachable values that were, you know, brought by the founding fathers. I mean, it's no doubt like a, an idea of patriarchy, not even like, I'm not even talking about that in the, like just in the pure clinical sense, not the political baggage. It's like right. founded by a group of well-intentioned men, even though, you know, they talk about what the founding fathers intended. There was still a whole nation of people that were involved in the founding of that. But nevertheless, this idea of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, you know, you get a little phrase to go with it. And we've consistently gotten better. And that's the story. And that has been the story for a long time. And somewhere along the line, 30, 40 years ago, you could, Nixon is the easiest argument to make of that. You could say perhaps Bill Clinton when they traded in actual progressiveness for neoliberalism. You could say the Bush-Gore you know, election of 2000. You could pick any number of things that have degraded into that vision. But that story became progressively more hollow, mm -hmm. right? And it didn't have any of that actual magic, the energy, the inspiration. It came back a little bit in Obama and then for 
various reasons, a little bit on him, a little bit on the opposition, it quickly got drained. And then you have somebody like Trump. And Trump's energy, there was a new vision, I think. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was power. It was yeah. get what you can. And I will, you know, they, the power of positive thinking, whatever the, whatever his, yeah, I forget the name like of the that. guru that he's involved with, but that is a type of ideology. And that is a story. Mm. You know, there is, there are facts and then there's personal truth. And this was a vision of a country, which was actually a vision of individuals and being able to have a nation of individuals scratching and clawing against each other in order to achieve personal success and fame. And the collective was, you know, not important. And that's a combination of having such a prosperous nation that that mirage could even exist, that that was a thing that could even be possible. Mm. Nevertheless, it's a story. Mm -hmm. And that's really what drives Americans is stories. You know, this idea that we are going to achieve something great mm. as a collective or as an individual, not sure. What will future stories look like? I don't know. We certainly, 50.3% of the country and counting thought, no, no, not that story. We don't want that one. Let's go back to <laughs> old Joe here. And right. uh, he, I mean, the guy looks like Uncle Sam, basically, you know, um, but you know, there's a lot of scariness to, from my perspective, what the Trump story was. Yeah. But also, I think from a clinical perspective, from a postmortem perspective, recognizing that as a nation, we respond to stories. And what do the stories look like moving forward? You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess we're even, apparently the current story is that we want to just kind of calm down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's the story that people are voting for right now. Yeah. Right? Maybe. I think so. And I, I guess I, like... It's just a sorry, repudiation. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, that's not, that's not our story. It's it's we want to go back to this idea. Yeah. Even though a lot it's of like, people. Oops, I did not mean to read this chapter. That's what we're that's what our vote just said. It's like I'm closing this book. Right. <laughs> right. And I think it's really important to I'm, I, I interrupted you. Was there a point in specific you had? No. <laughs> there. I think. It's really important that we recognize that this is a definitive statement. This is not, I don't think we as Americans and we as people that use facts and use data in order to construct a story, because that is definitely a portion of the Joe Biden, and I don't mean him specifically, but that side of the aisle. I don't even mean Democrats, just like people that use facts to create stories. And then in addition to all the 
soaring rhetoric of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you can also point back to, well, you know, this one here and this one there. So we believe that this is how we should move forward because we have a body of evidence mm -hmm. that that body of evidence-based thinking dictates that we should make definitive statements based on the outcome of this election, mm -hmm. even though they are razor-thin margins. They're not razor-thin margins, so they're 4.5 million more people are voting this way. I, mean, I know that people are saying it's razor-thin margins, and that's a story that I actually don't want to perpetuate because, okay, yeah, out of how many people are voting, 150,000 or 150 million or something, 4.5 million is not that many out of that, but it's also half of New York City. The entire population of New York City is not even quite double 4.5 million people. That's a lot of people. And that's, that's the majority that said, no, this is what we're doing. And, and this is the answer. And those other people are going to have to follow suit. Yes. And I think that's a part of the conversation that we should be having when yeah. we are making those statements. It's also, you know, just above majority. You know, it's, it know. is, they are small margins, but I agree 100% with what you're saying. Yeah. And so that's why I, you know, we've, the past few days, we've been looking at narratives that have been unfolding, even as you know, people wait. They don't, I'm sure there's all this content we're going to get now that people wrote three days ago <laughs> that they have been holding off on to flood our, you know, blogosphere. Sure. Even if that counts as a term anymore. But, you know, the idea that people are saying, you know, this means that there are 70 million people that support Trump and my this nation's awful or one in particular that's really been giving me trouble is the idea that white supremacy has won you know that despite whatever the results are that white supremacy has won in this country and for me I really have a hard time with that because there's only one way as far as I can tell that white supremacists respond and that's pure naked loss, that with this result, it doesn't matter that it was uh, not as robust as maybe uh, I would like or anyone would like, you say you lose. Go away. You've lost. You had your day and it's over. Yeah. And that is the only thing that a supremacist, regardless of race, gender, whatever, responds. Right. It's through embarrassment and being proven wrong. Yeah. And then the people that follow them will not follow anymore because those people that follow are bandwagoners. And yeah. you know, and then that's how it goes away. It doesn't go away by saying it's still around. Like yeah. it, you don't you're just giving it a further platform to you're just giving it another opportunity to find whatever the angle is, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think I definitely understand the concept and the reason why people are upset, it is upsetting to see that that many people voted for Trump. And if that's the way you see it, is that everyone that votes for Trump is a white supremacist, then yeah, that's really terrifying because that means that there's still 70 million white supremacists in the country. But the thing is that not everyone that voted for Trump is a white supremacist, as much as that might hurt to think about. Think about that. It's not. It's just like that is such an extreme version of racism and we're, we're in this time right now where we're all 
we're, we're not all, but the progressive people among us, at least, and probably more than that, are trying to grapple with this idea of systemic racism and what that means to every single one of us. And especially as young white people in New York City, I think I can speak for maybe that crowd at least, I can speak for myself. I'm over the last months since the end of May, I've been having conversations with people and listening to things and thinking with myself about what, how systemic racism has infected me and how it affects me on a daily basis and what it is, my thought processes that are related to things like that. And occasionally I catch myself thinking something that's, that would be considered a racist thought not you know and this because it's such a spectrum it's probably on the very light side of these things like some sort of very general stereotype might come in you know I'm where I cross the street if I see someone or I freeze up for half a second before I catch myself and stop it and I think that's something that I mean I'm I feel a little nervous saying this right now knowing that we're gonna like put it public but whatever it's true, and I think we all are grappling with that. That's something that we all experience. And yeah. so to say that half of the country is a white supremacist, that just doesn't even give, like maybe half of the country is struggling with some sort of <laughs> understanding of their own racist beliefs. But the white supremacist, like that is the whole, that's the other side of the scale. And we're so, we're trying so hard to not be binary about things. And here we are saying like, all those people are white supremacists. That's one side of the binary. Like they're, I just don't, it's just so, it's just not intelligent <laughs> to say something like that so plainly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I just know that we're, smarter than that mm -hmm. and I think that that's a problem that I think language is really important and I think people repeat things and we've seen that with Trump and I just don't want to be on the side of things that is just blindly repeating things that aren't really quite telling the whole story yeah yeah we'll see how it plays out in the next few years but it is definitely a point of insult, a point of observation, whatever you want to call it, that I think makes certain people on one side feel good, or I don't even know if good's the right way, but makes it feels justified to, th to throw that at somebody yeah. and it certainly hurts or inflames or provokes a response from the people on the receiving end. So right. it's to, to see something that's proven to have this kind of reciprocal effect means that it's going to be very difficult to remove. Yeah, well, it's easy. I mean, I think to, to circle back a little bit to, you know, we mentioned critical thinking earlier. This is a little off topic, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's people that are saying, well, I've done my own research about masks and I'm not going to wear one because I'm a critical thinker and I've done my own research. I think what they're actually saying is I've read a whole bunch of different things and I chose the one that was easiest for me to think about. 
because it aligned with my views. And that's not critical thinking. Critical thinking is hard. It makes your brain hurt. And then you come out the other side having hurt your brain in a way <laughs> that twists things around and then makes you make new connections. And then you have your thought process. And it may or may not be right still at the end, but at least you have actually done the work. And I think this labeling people as white supremacists is also is kind of similar to that where it's just, it's easy. It's easy and it aligns with what you think and you don't have to challenge yourself to find any other reasons why people might have liked Trump because it's upsetting. I mean, I get it. I, I don't really like to think about his potential positive qualities that people could be drawn to because I don't want to see them because he scares me and it's, he's an upsetting person and he's a mean man. So like, <laughs> I get it that it's easier mm -hmm. to just say anyone that voted for him is a white supremacist, end of the story, but that's not critical thinking. Yeah, and in addition to bringing up the point of critical thinking, which I think is important and we should encourage as many people to do and we should encourage ourselves to do, there also needs to be consideration within these critical thinkers that there are an irredeemable number of people that will not think critically. Yeah. And not just, and, and those people within that there might be a subset of people that aren't thinking critically, period. And then there might be a subset of people that are thinking critically about other things that you're not thinking critically about. Yeah. And there needs to be some sort of space to have empathetic language and behavior towards those subsets of people. Yeah, and I think every, like, every subset of people that's involved in this, because the people that are saying this sort of simplistic thing of like, well, I'm not going to talk to those people anymore because they're all terrible people. End of story. Like, I also get it. Like, this has been a really rough four years. This has been traumatizing and painful. And uh, like, it does hurt your brain <laughs> to have to think about it more. So if you're already in pain and you're already having a hard time, like, you might not be able to get to that point where you can actually start to do the critical thinking work. So if what you need right now is just to disconnect from people that aren't aligned with you on this for some time to heal while the nation heals, as that we're all saying, then like, I get that. But it can't be necessarily, you can't then make your voice the loudest voice. I think there also has to be some kind of recognition that like, oh, I'm in pain and I can't actually do the work of understanding this right now. So mm -hmm. I'm not gonna pretend like I have the answer. Yeah, yeah. I think we have one more thing that's specific to our project, which is to say election results that are New York based. Yeah, it's the reason I've had my computer sitting here in front of me the whole time. Um, I guess we should put a link in the podcast description because Gothamist made this map of how New York City voted. Yeah. And it's actually pretty interesting. And I was a little surprised by it. I mean, we have been walking around and in certain neighborhoods, we, like I said, we don't really see many like massive Biden displays. Although we'll see yard signs or signs in the window or, you know, when you see a Black Lives Matter sign, I often think, oh, that person's probably voting blue. but. 
we do see massive Trump displays in certain areas. And those areas did, in fact, turn red. And I guess, yeah, we'll put this up on the, on the description because I'm looking at it right now, but <laughs> obviously no one else is. Um, all of Manhattan is blue. There's a tiny little area right to the southeast of Central Park, which is actually where Trump Tower is, where <laughs> that is Assembly District 73, Election District 52. Yeah, uh, 105 Democratic votes, 99 Republican votes. So that area was Purple. a little... Yeah, it doesn't show up as purple, though. It actually shows up as, like, a light pink. Um, but <laughs> other than that, the entirety of Manhattan is fully blue. Uh, most of the Bronx is blue. The tippy tops, like, on the edges have a little bit of light red shading to them. Mm -hmm. Staten Island is mostly red, and it is actually kind of like an ombre from the south <laughs> to the north where the southern tip is a bright blood red mm -hmm. and then it gets about halfway up and starts to turn like light red and then it does switch to blue around the entire north shore yeah so that makes sense to me after having been there and what you know what we saw in the different areas yeah and then brooklyn and queens are actually split which that surprised me mm -hmm. so Basically everywhere around like where we live and Prospect Park and like the the northeastern part of Brooklyn, like if you chop it in half, the northeastern part is blue and the southwestern part is broke is kind of like a mosaic mm -hmm. of blue and and light red and there's a couple of deep red spots in here. And then Queens has their chunk of light red up at the north northern coast really mm -hmm. in the bayside area i would guess uh actually more in like i think this is like astoria mm, maybe base that's fort totten i believe and then so that would be like bayside's here oh yeah uh -huh. so bayside the bayside area does have like a light red but where mm -hmm. the bright like dark red is that's surprising to me because that looks like I don't Astoria know. I think that's to the or... right of Astoria. I'm not sure. It's not up against the western shore. It's Assembly District 27 East, Election District 57. So maybe we'll look that up later. Or if anyone wants to look it up, you can yeah. fact check us here. Um, and then I just wanted to read off the numbers from our district. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. It's Assembly District 54, Election District 61, and where we are, 349 people voted at that school. Uh-huh. Seems kind of like a lot. I don't know. And Biden won by 93.4%, or he got 93.4% of the vote. 262 voted Democratic. 19 voted Republican, there was one conservative, one Green Party, zero independent, one libertarian, one write-in, and 64 working families. There you go. So. 
Does that include? Because I know when we go there, we're like sent to one of four different stalls. Are those oh, other good point. stalls? So actually, there were more people that voted at that school. That's yeah. just our little our, table. Yeah. And there's, I think, four election district. It's, I think, it's all Assembly District 54, but four different election districts. Yeah. So those are our few blocks. Yeah. 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 It's a really small. Again, Mike can see this. No one else can. It's just that tiny little dot there. Yeah. yeah. Cute. I guess that's all we can talk about. I, as we're looking at this, I'm, I, you know, the working families thing is cool. They seem to do well. Yeah. I think that's good to keep some other parties going. That's right. Right. The libertarian, I, you know, I don't know if that's normal or not, but that that woman, Joe Jorgensen, got over a million votes in well, the country. There you go. It's interesting to me. I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. In a way, it seems like throwing your vote away. But in another way, I kind of think the two-party system is not ideal currently. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe one day. I don't. She. I read up on who she is, though, and there's some problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not all problematic, but it's there's some problematic things. To her policies and um so anyway i think um now we know how new york voted <laughs> yeah yeah i think we should cap it there yeah, make this a shorter there. episode than normal okay. but thanks so much to everybody for listening as always next week we'll return to our regularly scheduled program of documenting how our walks have gone yeah. and this week's particular walk, which we mentioned at the top of the show, very excited to share that with you eventually. But until then, I hope you continue to do well. I hope that our country continues to behave in a democratic way yeah. moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we're going to release this on Tuesday. I hope that everything we talked about here is still accurate. You know, we haven't set ourselves on fire by then yeah i mean figuratively and literally hopefully that cooler heads prevail moving forward and yeah thanks so much for listening and watching and take care for now bye bye